0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Thank you. It is, uh, it's really good uh, to be here. Um, some of you I remember um, in a prior life, I actually worked for our denomination's district office, and I helped facilitate this congregation becoming part of the... the what do you call it? I, like the, I know we don't call it that. I know that's not there, so... It's like the, the triad or whatever. The, there's three campuses, and so it's become part of that group. And uh, so it's great to see some of you again. Um, and it's great to be here to share with you today. Now I can actually see here. I can see there. So uh, um, we're, we're thrilled to be here with you this morning. And uh, as, as Daniel said, uh, Betsy, well, we've been, we've been attending Grace probably about six years, coming up on six years Betsy's actually worked uh, as an admin in in the adult discipleship area for almost five years. More than five years. Time just flies, doesn't it? So uh, um, those of you who know us, you know, as a couple, will verify that she is the best part of me. Um, Every morning I wake up and she's next to me is a good day. And uh, so I'm really grateful for that. Thirty-five years this fall we'll have been married. So, wow. Wow. The only trouble with that is that only old people are married for 35 years, you know, and uh, so those of you who have preceded us can identify with what that feels like. We have uh, three uh, adult children, and much to our dismay, none of them live near us. Um, Our two boys are in Pittsburgh, and our daughter is in Boston, and uh, that uh, five weeks ago, I got to marry Sarah and Tyler's our new son-in-law and so it was it was great actually that was right here at River Run Country Club in Davidson Uh, so I not only got to escort her down the aisle or the the grass lawn there where it was an outside wedding Um, but then I got to turn around and then actually perform the ceremony and marry them and so that was a great day Um, so you see our family there in case you're confused I'm the second guy from the left you know as to uh because I realize I'm so young-looking, and I just want to make sure that you weren't to mixing up with my sons. But uh, that's just sad, isn't it? Looking for laughs that way, at their expense. <laughs> well, as Daniel mentioned, today is the second day in a two-part series dealing with the power of the tongue. Our words matter, and they have significant effects. Last week, uh, Pastor Paul talked about just some of what that looks like, the power of the tongue, and some of the implications of that. And today we're going to take a little closer look... <clears throat> excuse me, a little closer look at the source of that power. Um, and so if you have your, whatever form of scripture you might have, whether it's a written form in a Bible, or if it's a phone, tablet, tech, or a, I don't think you'd have your laptop here, but if you did, uh, I can turn there. And if you don't have any of those, um, you probably know we'll project it on the screen. And so if uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 12, and we'll start with verse 33. We're going to read through verse 37. So make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the goods stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the bit of time that we have this morning to explore a little more deeply, um, especially, Father, as we just explore this very important topic, Lord, of just the value and the power um, and even the source of that power of the words we speak. So, Lord, I ask that uh, I would uh, share the things that need to be shared. And, Father, that everyone, people would hear what they need to hear, that your Holy Spirit would be very present in this room uh, the next bit of time that we're together. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this, Amen. You know what it means when the speaker puts his watch or timepiece on the podium? Absolutely nothing. You've heard that before. Thank you for stealing that one though. So uh, absolutely nothing. You guys go with what? Noon? Is that what? No, I'm just kidding. So. uh, When I was in uh, grad school, I was out for a walk with our oldest. Uh, Samuel probably was about a year, maybe 14 months, something like that. And uh, it was one of these uh, um, umbrella strollers. So it wasn't like the big case. It was just one that was sitting in a chair, so to speak. we're out for a walk. And uh, we lived right across from campus. We're out walking around campus. And um, we came up to one of my co-students, or what do you call it, one of my fellow students, Dennis. And uh, he was there waiting for a ride to pick him up. And so we stopped the chat, and we're just talking, you know, classes and that kind of stuff. And we got to the topic of our kids. And uh, so we're, you know, talking about our kids. And Samuel was our only one at the time. I don't know even you know if we were expecting Sarah at that point in time. So, But anyway, we're talking, and I made this comment. I said, isn't it just amazing to watch them grow? I mean, sometimes you can just see the development in their life. And at that very moment, to my horror, I remembered that Dennis is blind. And it wasn't like that was news to me. We've been in class for months. And if there was ever any doubt, he was still holding the red cane, you know, as we're talking. So I just was horrified, and I couldn't have been more embarrassed. We were talking about seeing our kids grow up, and, and he was incredibly gracious, and, I said, well, I can't see my kids grow up, but... And he went on, and just we moved on to other topics. And, but I was just mortified. Have you ever said something that just embarrassed you to no end? And you just, if you could... Like, now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have ever asked this question of someone? So, when's the baby due? <laughs> Only to discover that they were not expecting... And then you try and backpedal, and there's no way to backpedal from that one. You're you're toast. Um, Or sometimes our words are a little bit more directive. Um, You're not going to wear that shirt, are you? Or one I've heard frequently, um, you know, eating some crackers or pretzels, and uh, do you want me to put those away for you? You know, a lot of you men know what I'm talking about. They're not, their quest, their statements posed as questions. Yeah, there's not a question there at all. You know, it's like, stop eating and put those away. You know, there's also times when our words are not just they're embarrassing. Sometimes our words are just plain stupid. If I ever want to escalate an argument with Betsy, all I have to do is utter these words. You're just like your mother. I don't think I've ever, have I ever said that? But I know that that would not be a good thing. That's why I'm, uh, because I'm not stupid. I know that would not be good. And here's the thing, here's the thing. She has a great relationship with her mom. That's not the issue. The issue is just, I know that's a sensitive spot for her. But sometimes we do that. Here's the thing though, embarrassing and stupid words are not necessarily what Jesus is talking about in this passage we just read. What he's talking about here um, is sometimes when we, we speak, we misspoke, or we've misspoken, and sometimes they're just a lapse of judgment. But the words that Jesus is talking about here in this point, the, the message he's trying to get across was that more often than not, the words that we use are reflection of who we are. Our words are reflection of our inner nature. What a person says is inescapably related to who a person is. Luke, in his gospel, has a similar statement from the words of Jesus. He says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It is from within that our words are formed. And as discussed by Jesus, there are some implications of what our words uh, can do. One is that we will be recognized by our words. All of us have the occasional bad day. We're just cranky. You know, we're, you know, we're just not uh, hitting on all cylinders. And you may have even heard someone say, wow, someone get up on the wrong side of the bed today. Well, the fact that they said that is not good because it says you're kind of cranky. But the fact that they said it, actually the good part of that is the fact that they're noticing that you're different. And that's a good thing, that this is not normal behavior for you. So the, the fact that they said it, they're pointing out something that's probably not, that needs to be adjusted, but... The fact that they recognize this is not normal is good. So, the question then we have to ask ourselves is what is normal for you? If someone were to describe you simply by the words you use, how would they describe you? Would you be optimistic or pessimistic? Cheerful or sarcastic? Gracious or mean-spirited? Discreet? or gossip, intelligent or ignorant. Jesus makes it very clear that the words we use shape our reputation. Another implication of the words that we use, we will be revealed by our words. The immediate context of this passage that we read here a few minutes ago is the Pharisees. Jesus is talking to a very specific group of people And he had been having ongoing confrontations with them ever since he began his ministry. And the verses immediately preceded the ones we just read. There's three things that happened. First, Jesus is accused of breaking the Sabbath by these Pharisees because Jesus and his disciples, you know, as they were walking through a wheat field, pulled off some of the kernels and ate them. Now, here's the thing. They weren't accused of stealing. The Pharisees were not upset the fact that, you know, that they were walking through someone else's field and, and taking the wheat. They were upset because the very act of actually pulling some wheat off the stalk is related to harvesting. Harvesting is work, and you can't work in the Sabbath. That's why they were upset with Jesus. A few minutes later, actually that same day, um, they began planning, literally planning how they're going to kill Jesus because he healed a man whose hand was withered. And then, after that, Jesus healed the demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute. And, again, they were plotting for how they might get rid of Jesus. So that's what preceded the immediate context of the verses we just read. Jesus had had this ongoing battle. The thing we need to remember, though, is that the Pharisees, let me say it this way, Jesus, they perceived Jesus as a threat. He was a threat to the very identity of the Israelite nation. There was the whole idea of what is the place of the temple, of sacrifice. Even the Pharisees themselves became unnecessary. If what Jesus was talking about, if it was actually true, their whole reality, their whole paradigm of existence disappeared. So they were threatened by Jesus. Jesus and their behavior and their words became a part of it. But those fears and insecurities and prejudices framed the very manner in which the Pharisees viewed their world. Everything that was different from them was viewed as a threat. Their words and accusations against Jesus were merely a reflection of what was in their hearts. And Jesus was saying that in their hearts, they were rotten to the core. Who you are as a person... Your core identity is revealed in your words. So the third implication of our words. You will be responsible for your words. Prior to Jesus, prior to this, um, actually, can we show verse uh, 36 and 37? Can we go back to that slide? So prior to this, when we come to here, Jesus is talking directly to the Pharisees. And it's pretty harsh. You know, you brood of vipers. That's, that's a pretty specific. He now transitions to generally. He's now, all right, I'm not, not, I'm not talking to you. He now looks at the crowd and he's speaking broadly to everyone. Everyone or men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your word you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned couple thoughts thoughts. Day of judgment. um, Interestingly enough, Matthew is the only of the four gospel writers that uses that term, and he uses it four times. Day of judgment also is kind of this apocalyptic day of judgment. In other words, it's like the end of time type of judgment. He's not saying that when you die, you will be judged. The end of time or the day of judgment is actually... A cosmological type of judgment, if that makes sense. Now, at that time, individuals will be judged, but he's not. He's talking about a specific time period in history. Secondly, um, within this, um, every careless word um, is, is what's there. Um, and some translations use "empty." Every empty word, you'll be judged by those. <coughs> does that cause you as much trouble as it does me? I mean, how many times have I inadvertently said something that offended somebody? Or without even knowing it, I said something that hurt someone's feelings. And now Jesus is telling us that we're going to be judged by those words. And that seems to me to be a bit extreme, doesn't it? Perhaps it is. But Jesus was known to say extreme things in order to drive home his point, wasn't he? Consider these other times Jesus spoke. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Or if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And here's this crowd-pleasing one here. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus said some very harsh things. But whether we like it or not as he said to the group that day, we will be held responsible for the words that we use. It's just a sobering thought, isn't it? And I can see by the looks in some of your faces that you're you're kind of concerned about that. Not for you yourself, obviously, but for the person sitting next to you, really concerned for them. So what do we do with that? Um, Here's the thing I'm convinced of, is that your past does not have to define your future. Yes, there may have been some things we've done in our past, but that doesn't have to dictate how we behave and how we speak, especially in this context, how we speak in the future. Um, can you get verse 33 back up there? Make a tree good. What does that mean? That one, I, I got... I, how do you make a tree good? Because that's actually the key to what he's saying here. Because... If a tree's good, the fruit will be good. So making a tree good or making a tree bad is pivotal to us understanding this context. I don't know. <laughs> you know so there, there's, that, to me, I, that's, I'm not... Uh, what's uh, someone who deals with trees and... Thank you. Was Ar- oh, arbor? Arborist. I'm not an arborist. And I, uh, I did not consult an arborist uh, here this morning. But I do think that we have a little... Insight into this in verse 35. Can you go down to the next uh, passage here? The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. Um, stored up, uh, in another other part of Matthew, that same word is used, and the word treasury is there. So, a good man brings up good things out of the good treasury in, his, in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil treasury in him. What's a treasury? It's where we hold things. uh, things. It's where we make deposits. We deposit into a treasury to hold it, to make it secure, to make it safe. So, in this case, how do we make a tree good? By making deposits, good deposits, into its soil. How do we make our words good? By making good deposits into our soul. So, what does that look like? Three things I think that I think uh, for me are just informative as to how we make, how we might invest into our soul, make some good deposits. One, we want to pause and create some space. Pause and create some space. This is probably the hardest thing to do because most of the time when we run into trouble from our words, it is because we said them in a moment of high emotion. We're in the moment. And we're not thinking fast enough to keep up with our emotions. Yet while this might be the hardest thing to do, it is probably the most important. To pause means taking a moment to contemplate the effect of the words we are about to speak. And it doesn't have to be a long pause. Sometimes just taking a breath is sufficient. Normally in, our, in a stressful situation, our heart rate increases, our breathing increases, our blood pressure increases. A deep breath allows us to re-regulate our breathing and to kind of get back in control of of our emotions at the time. Have you ever uh, watched, uh, I don't know if any of you play basketball, if you've watched the basketball game, but someone who's shooting free throws, have you ever watched that? They have this, every player has a very specific regimen they go through and they repeat the same regimen every single time. But usually there's a few dribbles, they get their feet lined up, there's a few dribbles just to get their hands used to the ball. They pause and what do they do? And then they'll shoot it. Every time. Um, everything I've ever read about hunting, whether, you know, like a, for long distance with a rifle or a sniper, everyone accounts for, prior to taking, pulling the trigger, there's a deep breath. And after the air is out is when you actually pull on the trigger. Taking that breath just calms our heart, right? Right? It allows us to just get back on top or get back in control of our emotions. It it keeps us from letting our emotions control us. And so sometimes, in the heat of a moment, and we're tempted to say something back, just that simple, beforehand gives us that moment that we probably need. And that allows us then to do number, engage number two. The second idea about making a good deposit. So while pausing and creating some space, we are able to ponder and engage the brain. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. During this momentary pause, we're trying to get a read on the moments of the situation. Um, I like to ask myself three questions in these moments, and th- this isn't in your outline, um, but there's three very short questions. The first one is, is it me? What generally sets you off? Is it a person at work? Um, you know, is it What is it about them that bothers you? Is it uh, a particular behavior of your spouse, of your child, the parent? Why do they bother you to the degree that they do? I've noticed that when I become mad at someone, it is often because they have exposed something within me—a right that I think they have violated. Um, I'll use my oldest son as another example. Shortly after he was born, I think we were out in in California. I was again; we're in grad school. He's probably five months, six months. This actually is a little earlier. But living in Southern California, I mean every now and then you've got to go to the beach. That's just it's just there, so you got to do that. And so but it, what's what's so we were actually were are actually going to go spend a day at the beach. But for the few weeks prior to that, I had just been cranky. Um, irritable, short with Betsy, and it just and it was nothing specific, nothing I could really you know, there wasn't any specific incident I could point to. Finally, Betsy says, What is wrong with you? Um, and I said, I don't know. And I probably walked away. But I was loading the car um, to get ready to go to the beach. And as I was packing the car, I realized what it was. I was packing six bags and a stroller. Prior to Samuel's arrival, we only needed two bags one for each of us. And we were leaving later than we usually did because we had to wait for Samuel to wake up from his morning nap. I realized I had become resentful of the interruption of our normal lives by the arrival of our infant son. No longer could we pick up and go somewhere in the spur of the moment. Everything we did now revolved around this baby when it ate, when it slept. We no longer can control our lives, but our lives were now controlled by this baby. Now, before you get all judgmental on me, uh, I can literally feel the judgment from some of you. Um, I'm not proud of this. This is not a thing. But I recognized that there was something going on inside of me, The emotions I was feeling was something that was happening to me. Once I, once I actually realized why I was feeling that way, I felt really stupid, you know, and embarrassed. And I never had any problems with it again. I mean, I loved my son. No one had prepared me, though, for the... Everyone said, oh, your life will be different, and I got that. But no one had actually prepared me for what this actually meant and will look like. And once I realized that this was now my new normal, I was fine. It was okay, and, um, it's, you know, it's never been any, it was never an issue again. But I realized that sometimes that when, when I'm feeling emotional about something, I'm sad and angry, my first question I always ask is, is there something in me that's being exposed? Some, some nerve or something that's happening inside me that I need to address and deal with? So that's the first question I ask. The second question I ask in this, is it them? Sometimes their behavior is due to an issue that they're dealing with. Um, I have a hard time with arrogant people. <clears throat> I can get along with most anybody. But I have a hard time dealing with people who are arrogant, people who think they know everything. You know, and, they're just, and I'm not talking about someone who's really intelligent, but I'm just somebody who is just arrogant. Um, and I have very little patience for them. One of the things that I do is try to get to know them a little better. And find out what, what's going on in their life. More often than not, there's something in their past that they're compensating for, that actually caused them to behave the way they do. Now, that doesn't excuse their behavior, but it takes the edge off of me. I'm a little bit more compassionate. I'm a little bit more understanding, and I give. There's that little bit more room that I've. It doesn't affect me as much. Yeah, you're pain. I'd rather not deal with you, but. I don't lose any sleep. I don't, I don't waste any more emotional energy over them. So is it me? Is it them? <clears throat> the third question I ask is, is it the situation? Context is everything. I was reading um, an article, um, and this, the guy's writing this article, and he, he was recounting a time when he was riding a city bus, and he was on the bus, and it was full of people, <clears throat> and they made a stop, and on the stop, a man gets on, and he's got three little kids. And so then the, the bus takes off, and, you know, they find their way. And it's not long, and the three kids are just starting to act up. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the, one kid's getting up and running up and down the aisles. You know, one kid's climbing over seats. And it just, and, he's, and the guy who's writing this was he's expressing his thoughts were just like, what kind of father are you? You're not, you know, this is not this is a safety issue. Your kids could get hurt, and... And he could tell, and he was, as he was recounting all the emotions he was feeling of, of anger and disappointment about this father. And he said, and he then commented about, he was watching other people on the bus as well, who he, by their expressions of their faces, were, were having the same things. Just, you know, just, if darts could kill, this guy would have been dead a thousand times because of his, his irresponsibility of caring for his kids. And the way this guy was writing was great. He said, finally, a woman with a little more grace than me He actually went up to the guy and says, hey, you may want to ask, you know, have your kids sit down so they don't get hurt. And uh, the man up until the time had just been staring out the window. He really hadn't been doing anything, just ignoring his kids and and just wasn't paying attention. And you can tell when she said that, he kind of, you know, kind of snapped back to it and says, oh, thank you for telling me that. And he said, we just came from the hospital. My wife, their mother just passed away. And when he's, when he's reading it, he said, the moment this guy said this, the attitude in the bus changed instantly. Instantly, the, what was one of judgment, the attitude and the feelings of judgment and condemnation for this man's behavior, the compassion that was present in the bus, and all of a sudden everyone's you know, picking up kids and sitting on their lap and playing with them. It changed instantly because of their understanding of context. Sometimes the context drives the situation. Sometimes the context drives the behavior for them and for us. We've learned over the, you know, when Betsy and I first got married, uh, the first few years we're married, we'd have an argument or something. We refer to those as creative conflicts. Because you learn something about the other person that allowed you then to adjust your behavior. Okay, well, that bothers me. I'm not going to do that anymore. At this point in time, we just fight. Because you know it bothers her. I just don't care. You know, and, uh, or she doesn't. You know, so it's just, anyway, we, we spar is kind of the way we, uh, <clears throat> we say that. Um, but if there's, one t- there's only one time in our marriage, um, or not one time, there's one circumstance in our marriage that will cause conflict for us, usually more than anything else. It's when something hits both of us at the same time. Usually if she's had a bad day, I usually have the, the capacity to give her a little extra grace you know, And so if she were to do something that's probably a little off, you know, she just had a bad day. And so we're able to get through that. And she does the same thing for me. So she, it, we're very good that way together. What's hap- what happens, though, is that when we get bad news about something, and it affects her and affects me, <clears throat> I can't talk about something until I've had a chance to think about it. <clears throat> I need to be left alone. She can't think about it unless she's talking about it. So she needs to talk about it to work through the issues. So in that situation, we both need different things, opposite things actually. One of us has to lose that conflict. And so we usually sit down and talk um, because that's how that works. But it's, it's that situation that created that scenario. It wasn't anything that she did or said. It wasn't anything I did. But the context created that moment. And sometimes by simply just pausing, so in that moment, taking that breath, and thinking, is it me? Is it them? Is the situation? Sometimes that all happens in the blink of an eye. But just that, that momentary pause, that reflection of what's going on, will keep us from saying something we regret later. <clears throat> so that's the third <clears throat> So context okay so in order to make good deposits into our soul we should pause and create some space ponder and engage the brain is it me, is it them, is it the situation that's behind the emotions <clears throat> of the moment and finally we should number three, pray and engage the Holy Spirit <clears throat> Psalms 141 and again, this is not—it's uh, part of your outline. <clears throat> Let me read it. It's a short psalm. <clears throat> o Lord, I call you. I call to you. Come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil, to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evil doers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. <clears throat> Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. Yet my prayer is ever against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But my eyes are fixed on you, O sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me, from the traps set by evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. Excuse me. David was a man who had it all. Politically, I mean, he was the king. He had all the power that he could ever want. It all belonged to him. He was a man's man, a leader. Wealth and power... He had it all. Spiritually, he was known as a man after God's heart. And yet when I read this psalm, I get the sense that David was scared spitless about his capacity to fail. His prayer was not only that God would protect him from others, but that God would also protect him from himself. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I think many of us can identify with David in this regard. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy when it comes to the words that come out of our mouth. While is it appropriate that we pause and create some space and ponder and engage the brain, the need to pray and engage the Holy Spirit is essential. So my suggestion is that when we do pray and engage the Holy Spirit, we do so in three areas. Why is it all sermons are in groups of three? Like three points, three things. But in this case, there are three. Ask for God's forgiveness for those instances in the past where you know you have crossed the line with your words. And a dangerous or risky, if nothing comes to mind right away, ask the Holy Spirit to bring them to your attention if they need to be. That's always a dangerous prayer, because he will. Um, Secondly, is there anyone in your past you have hurt with your words? Ask the Holy Spirit for the courage and strength to ask them for forgiveness. So ask the Lord for forgiveness for things in your past. Ask for courage and strength to ask for others for forgiveness if needed. And thirdly, forgive yourself and move on. Don't let past failures Define your future. Begin each day with a prayer like David's. Um, Sometimes I'll do this if there's um, something specific. I'm dealing with it a certain season of life. I'll write out like a one or two sentence prayer on a piece of paper and I'll tape it to my mirror. And it's kind of like a paste prayer. So while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm reciting that prayer. And so usually it's in the morning because I'll brush my teeth in the morning. And, and uh, you know, God, help me this day, you know, before I even start, that you know, the words I use would be words of health to people, that would be words of encouragement to people. And, but something short, amen. But begin your day, begin, put it at a time where you recognize it and see it, that then allows you to pray as you would see as appropriate. Psalm 1914 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I want to pause. Give yourself a moment. You want to ponder. And then lastly, you want to engage, uh, engage the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for Your word, and for these challenging words of Jesus, that um, Father, sometimes easier said than uh, easier to be easier said than done. The idea of watching our tongue, Uh, Lord, I think all of us have moments in our life that uh, where our emotions get the better of us, and we say things that we later regret. Uh, We say things we recognize and aren't helpful. They probably add to the pain of another individual. Lord, forgive us of those times. Forgive us of those moments. And Father, um, I do ask, Lord, if there's individuals that uh, I need to go back and ask for forgiveness, that you would give me the courage and the strength to, in fact, do that. Um, And then, Father, um, I do ask that you would Just allow me and us, I'll pray collectively. Lord, allow us to to be people who are known for their words of life, to be people who are known for words that strengthen, encourage, give hope, and not known for words that um, would be destructive or hurtful or painful. Or, as you've challenged us, they wouldn't be empty, but they'd be words of substance. Uh, so, Father, I pray for each one uh, that's here that this week this would be a chance for us to practice and implement some of the things about the source of the power of our words, that we would make good investments into our soul by doing the things that would help us, Father, be good communicators of the words we use. So, Father, I ask for blessing and favor for each one. Lord, in the task they set their hands to, the the. the conversations they have with people. Lord, give them favor, I pray. And Father, it's in all these things that we give you praise and honor and glory. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.